huge step forward and is part of the win that the Fight for 15 and union movement created in raising wages and putting wages um, as part of the conversation uh, in this country. We fully back uh, all those efforts. And I think you're right. It is a way to put the economy and wages and work at the center of our politics and make sure that people understand that what we've been hearing on the doors from those 4 million infrequent voters and from our 2 million members and the millions more that we're trying to organize is that cost of living is their number one issue. And they need candidates to tackle price gouging corporations that have profiteered off this pandemic and hold them accountable, especially when they get taxpayer dollars to create good jobs. They need to be good union jobs. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Mary Kay Henry is the international president of the Service Employees International Union, SEIU. That does it for our show on uh, November 8th on election night. Democracy Now! will be um, airing a three-hour election night special. We'll be broadcasting live starting at 9 p.m. Easter. You can go to our website at democracynow.org for more details. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Thank you. You're listening to KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. The time is 7.59 a.m. Next up is Wednesday Talk Radio with Paul Rowland. Yankee, go home, oh, Yankee, go home. Yankee, go home and leave us alone. Yankee, go home, oh, Yankee, go home. Yankee, go home and leave us alone. From South America, you can hear the bitter cry. You can hear it, you can fear it and ask the question why. Yankee, go home, oh, Yankee, go home. Yankee, go home. And leave us alone Yankee go home Oh Yankee go home Yankee go home And leave us alone We exploited South America Through many hungry years They look at us with hostile fears And that's the reason why Yankee go home Oh Yankee go home Yankee go home And leave us alone Yankee go home Oh Yankee, go home, Yankee, go home, and leave us alone. Through the Trumbull Congo, you can hear the bitter cry. You can hear it, you can fear it, and ask the question why. Yankee, go home, oh, Yankee, go home, Yankee, go home. And good morning, everybody. This is Wednesday Talk Radio. I am your host, Paul Rowland. We've got a very interesting guest coming up in just a minute. After I tell you what that song you heard was, uh, that was from uh, Yankee Go Home, the album's name, uh, Songs of Protest Against American Imperialism, created and sung by Bob Connolly out on Folkways Records, 1975. Bit of a different era, but uh, ain't it still the truth? I thought of that, uh, you know, with the election of uh, Lula, uh, what a sort of a surprise, I guess, and the acquiescence of uh, Bolsonaro, somewhat of a surprise as well. 
And also, uh, you know, the uh, election, I had a guest on a couple months back uh, in Colombia, and I was talking about this uh, pink wave, which seems to seems to have been happening and is now happening in accelerated way, which uh, really does threaten the, the kind of the stranglehold of the United States uh, the, under the Monroe Doctrine. So maybe we'll be talking a little bit about that, um, but... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, and I also uh, uh, was at a uh, rally on Saturday in Portland uh, against the uh, U.S. blockade of Cuba that's been going on for 60-plus years. And with uh, the recent, uh, another bad hurricane in Cuba, just the, the, the inhumanity of that blockade not allowing more aid and assistance and cooperation between us and a country that is just so close to our shores is just, it's absolutely criminal. So um, those two things made me think of that uh, record and of course the uh, subject we're gonna talk about today, which is, is US foreign policy reformable? The new foreign policy alliance wants to try. The foreign policy alliance is a nonpartisan organization which formed in 2015 to educate and advocate across the political spectrum for a United States foreign policy that emphasizes diplomacy, law, and cooperation rather than costly and counterproductive intervention. Today's guest, Joseph Marcinkowski, or it's probably Marcinkowski, maybe he'll tell us, is the vice president and a founding member of the foreign policy alliance. He brought the idea of a left Right Alliance on Foreign Policy, inspired by Ralph Nader's 2014 book, Unstoppable, to the planning group that organized the 2015 Houston Peace and Justice Center Conference, Peace or Wars Without End. He uh, served in the U.S. Army and worked in the fossil fuel industry for 26 years. We'll ask him about that, mostly outside the United States. As an activist, he is the Houston representative of the School of the Americas Watch, an executive committee member of the Houston Peace and Justice Center, as well as a member of Pax Christi and Veterans for Peace. With that, welcome, Joseph Marcinkowski. Hello, Paul. Good to talk to you. Really good to talk to you. This is a, 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 a critical moment, I guess. When was there not a critical moment? But uh, I don't know if you heard Democracy Now! this morning. There was a debate between... Um, Ray Govern, who I had on a couple months back, and the uh, former uh, foreign policy advisor, yes, to Bernie Sanders, um, Truss. Oh, what was his first name? Anyway, that's all right. And which was very interesting. Oh, Matt Doss. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Truss, the uh, new, uh, the new, uh, the the former new uh, prime minister of the UK. Things are happening just so fast. So, yeah. So I, I, I hope I didn't steal much, too much thunder talking about the origins of the group, because that's what I want to hear before we sort of get into how you got into all this. Let's talk about what is the Foreign Policy Alliance and what are you all trying to do? Yeah, and you you said it pretty much. Uh, and I was chair of the Youth and Peace and Justice Center uh, um, Military and Foreign Policy Work Group, and I was looking for an approach, and I, Ralph's book just came out in 2014, I read it. He had a conference in uh, Washington, D.C., where he invited uh, speakers from the right and left. Uh, and I was very impressed with the whole idea. It came away feeling that uh, the 25 points that he listed in, in the book are real points that the left and the right can talk about and work together on. And most of them are foreign policy, the civil rights and foreign policy. 
And of so course, of course, that we had idea- a conference in we had a conference in Houston the year later, 2015, inviting similar guests like uh, uh, Ron Paul's uh, group. We had uh, Colonel Wilkinson, uh, David Swanson, and a number of other left and right speakers in it, and that was the start of of our group. We put together our our resolutions and flyers within the next six months, and we've been educating in Houston uh, for the last few years, going, going to universities, uh, having discussions, uh, passing our information out uh, to all the congressmen. You can see there's quite a few people that have signed up for our group. And then, of course, a year later, Trump was elected and uh, kind of threw everything into a certain turmoil. He kind of co-opted, you know, whatever in a sort of a, I don't know, you could call it a, a historic American isolationism, which I think uh, Rand Paul uh, uh, it goes under that category, a certain, you know, a certain kind of populist anti-interventionism. And he kind of co really co-opted all that energy and took it in a really uh, kind of terrible direction. I don't know. Do, maybe my guess my first question is, does that make your work much more difficult or does it open up new possibilities or what? Now, what you said being correct, but then he was either forced to or he, he put Bolton and Papadeo uh, on his staff there who were neoliberals, expansionists, and he did what uh, Obama wouldn't do was to send uh, the Javelin missiles to Ukraine. That was the first offensive weapons that Ukraine got from us. Uh, everything else before that was defensive. So he's as much part of this uh, Ukrainian-Russia war as everybody else. Well, well Trump being the, the consummate opportunist and uh, not the most uh, courageous person, obviously gave in to the, you know, the the old uh, neocon hawks and uh, and the whole, uh, the, really, what I've said repeatedly ad nauseum on this show is if there is a deep state, you know, it's the, the national security state in the Pentagon, and he certainly didn't stand up to them, did he? No. Uh, and you know what? I, I don't see anybody standing up to them, uh, you know, uh, the New York Times report, Ignatius, uh, put out a comment recently, and he's a stenographer for the CIA. His, everything he, he prints comes from the CIA. He says, there is no high-level negotiations going on uh, as we had in the Cuban crisis. Well, hell, that's, that's quite a statement. In, in, in fact, when you think about uh, the 30 progressives that withdrew their letter to Biden just for asking for negotiations, how does he come in with this statement that's that's twice as strong and, and powerful if, if he doesn't have the support, uh, support of the dark, uh, the, the CIA in, right. in this case? Well, you know, it's interesting that the, that, that, that you, the letter on Ukraine has become a yet another flashpoint in the, the multiple divisions among uh, progressives on the left, and it just uh, sharpened them. And of course, the war in Ukraine is, is, has done a, a, a remarkable job of exacerbating those divisions. And, and um, 
and it, uh, it, it, I guess we'll probably never know the full story, whether it was all 30 who, who agreed with withdrawing the letter, or was it more like a top-down, you know, heavy-duty pressure coming upon them and them caving in? I guess there's you know, sort, of, sort of a question it, in there. It, it's really difficult to, to say here. We're getting so many strange things that, that happen. But if you're putting out a letter like this, there were 40 Republicans who voted against the funding bill. Why wouldn't you include them in that? Uh, and then you, after the fact, you're getting these comments back from uh, other liberals. Ukraine is winning. Why are we negotiating? It just needs time. Uh, uh, Biden needs to support the victorious campaign. And I think that's a lot of bull. I don't think you, you, you're getting uh, what's happening in, in Ukraine, clearly. Uh, the Ukrainians are not winning. They're, you know, uh, Senator Lindsey came out and said, uh, we need to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian, and we're getting there. That's, that's what's happening. Uh, everything he said is, and Secretary of Defense, uh, Austin, uh, we got to weaken Russia. Well, last week at the, uh, a Russian uh, club meeting, uh, the Valdi club meeting in St. Petersburg, uh, President Putin said this, the Western goal is to weaken, divide, and ultimately destroy our nation. They're openly stating that since they managed to break up the Soviet Union in 1991, now it's time to split Russia into many separate regions that will be at each other's throats. Okay, we're getting kind of deep into that particular part of, of the subject, and I, I do want to continue that discussion. It's an okay. important one. and But, you know, it's a, this your organization started well before the Ukraine war. I guess maybe the writing was, for those who are really paying attention, the writing was may have been or probably was already on the wall in 2015 when you started this organization. But, you know, you've got this resolution that you put out and you've got a lot of endorsers. I want to you know, talk about who who is supporting you and and sort of where you're going with the, this new group, again, the Foreign Policy Alliance. Let me just read some of this uh, the, the this resolution just to sort of give people a, a better sense. You could do it, but sure. I got it right in front of me here. A call to reform U.S. foreign policy. One, whereas you, American military personnel are being killed and wounded and civilian casualties inflicted in wars fought for purposes unrelated to America's vital security interests, which the U.S. government defines too broadly. Two, whereas America's military interventions in other countries have led to costly blowback and unintended consequences. Three, whereas outdated Cold War alliances create tripwires that could compel the use of U.S. military force to resolve conflicts. Four, whereas escalating tensions between the U.S. and other nuclear powers are moving our nations toward military confrontation and potential nuclear war. Well, that's uh, even more relevant now. Five, whereas erosion of civil liberties long held dear by Americans, including freedom from warrantless surveillance, searches and seizures, has accelerated with passage of the USA Patriot Act in 2001, the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012, and the USA Freedom Act of 2015. Whereas in a post-Cold War era, the U.S. can safely reduce its security budget by developing a new and more relevant strategy for right-sizing the military to better deal with 21st century security needs. And seven, whereas a healthy U.S. economy is critical 
to an effective security program, but is now put at risk by the trillion-dollar annual national security budget that contributes to an $18 trillion-plus national debt. And then there's uh, seven uh, resolutions, therefore, be resolved, which I won't read, but you can go to uh, foreignpolicyalliance.org and read all about this and all the people involved. I would add a number eight at least and say, whereas uh, climate change is fueled uh, by militarization and the uh, ability to combat climate change is inhibited by global militarization, we need to curtail first our militarization and uh, work along with all the other nations of the world. Anyway, that's a really important one. I've been talking a lot about that. Okay, so you, you got these uh, endorsements. Talk about who, who some of your, your supporters are. And if you have, uh, you know, political politicians among your supporters, and then, you know, where where you're taking this energy that you got with this. All right. Uh, we have Colonel Andrew Bracevich, who uh, is the CEO of the Quincy Institute, uh, Elizabeth Cobbs from uh, Texas A&M University. Uh, she's on the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. Uh, uh, John Dorschner, political science at University of Arizona. Uh, Lloyd Dumas, uh, professor of economics at the University of Texas. Uh, we have Sharon Tennyson, who, who for 20-some-odd years ran groups to uh, Russia from the United States on a uh, citizen's diplomacy. And I, in 2018, I attended uh, one of those visits with her. And uh, uh, it's done at a pretty high level. You, you, we got to speak with Gorbachev. We got to speak with uh, American businessmen in Russia. Uh, and they told us how they're doing, how everything is working there. Uh, Posner, who was a, a news uh, reporter for for Russia, who was to when the wall was coming down, came to the United States and was on several of the mainstream media uh, sites for long periods of time. He speaks. Uh, he grew up in the United States, so his English is perfect. Uh, a number of uh, other news news people uh, in Russia. It, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, can't tell you now how much I got out of it. And, this is the type of people that support our organization. And 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 uh, y you mentioned citizens' diplomacy. That seems to be a really important part of this. It is a, you know, the whole sister cities programs has been part of that. I right. know Portland has a lot of historically a lot of different sister cities. I know with uh, 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 at least one city in Nicaragua during the the height of uh, tensions. That's been a real important, you know, there's like this model United Nations thing that was really important for for several generations of people to kind of learn about, you know, international civics, I guess. But like so many things, that sort of has waned. But uh, you talk about, you know, waging foreign, you know, doing foreign policy from a, a local on a local basis. Talk a little bit about what, what that's about. This, uh, it's a formula of uh, the power of one where an individual can request from his city that they put on the ballot a foreign policy topic like in this case do you uh, support nuclear war well we know uh, how that's going to come out uh, yes or no if, uh, 
uh, I'm sure that's going to be 99% uh, no. And do you support war with Ukraine? That could be another one. And we're working with a lot of groups right now to enhance that activity. I tried it with my uh, my city here, uh, NASA Bay, which is uh, across the street from Johnson Space Center. Uh, it's heavily uh, uh, people who work in the space center, the astronauts and, and the rest of that. And they wouldn't put it on a ballot. Surprise, surprise. It's amazing because I was helping them do a sister city policy with Star City in Russia, or trying to help them, but uh, there was a reluctance on the part of Russia to go back to a situation that didn't work out well with them. But they wouldn't even put uh, an anti-war type of message on their ballot. So that's but that's where we're moving. We're moving on uh, with the city of Houston in the future. Um, hopefully, we can uh, we can do foreign policy because it, it, it's not possible to work through our uh, Congress anymore. They're 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 owned by the military-industrial complex and other business entities, and if it's not in their interest, nothing's going to happen. So it has to happen at another level. And the, the level of the power of one where the people step up individually and say, yes, I, don't, I want this, no, I don't want that, is where we have to be. But do you welcome um, endorsers from you know, the political class, of, from federal down to state and local? Oh, sure, yeah. And, and have any of them expressed, uh, especially people who might have something to lose politically, at the federal level, has any, have any any of them endorsed your your uh, resolution? Well, the resolution has been endorsed by. Let's see, we have congressmen on here. We have. Uh, That's okay. You, you know, uh, I think Kucinich was uh, uh, someone who signed it. Now, maybe he's not a good example. He's not in right now. <laughs> right. Uh, he, he had the courage of uh, all of them. He's still a lion of the peace movement. Uh, well, it's, it's just so astounding that uh, the idea of reducing the Pentagon, given, you know, on the right, the, the you know, the decrying the, the federal budget deficit, and of course they contribute to as much as anyone else. And then on the left, you know, the... You know the 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 gen generic uh, idea of uh, you know peace and democracy. It seems like uh, the, it would be a no-brainer. Yet year after year after year, the Pentagon budget seems to go up and up and up, and all the crises of the world continue to get worse and worse and worse. And you know all that all that money that you know all the all the fights, all the domestic fights over you know school funding you know the the poor teachers who have to go on strike to get a decent wage um you know the the lack of school supplies the you know the 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 crisis there in in Mississippi and Jackson Mississippi the water the flint water crisis this these you know the the infrastructure the you know the the fight that had to go on to get the infrastructure bill passed et cetera et cetera it's just it's inane when the cost of some of these these bloated uh, uh, and, and a lot of them outdated even before they go online, before they're finally produced, uh, uh, you know, weapon systems, et cetera. 
you know, it's it's uh, it's just insane, totally. Oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, the F-35 uh, plane is a good example of that. Uh, I, I don't think anybody wants to fight with it, but we certainly sell it to all of uh, our uh, NATO and uh, uh, anybody who will buy them. And they're tremendously expensive, uh, and, and a plane is considered useless. Uh, we are, we're not doing the things that we need to do in this country. You're right. Uh, well, let me. We, we have such disparity in wealth and uh, in this country that it's uh, we're putting more people in poverty over these last couple of years of COVID. Uh, almost eight million people uh, became poor, while in China they take nine hundred uh, million people out of poverty. You know, we're doing direct opposite of what we should be doing. Well, I'm uh, uh, This is Wednesday Talk Radio here on your community radio station, KBOO. Talking to you live in our studios in southeast Portland. Of course, if you're hearing this later, it won't be live. But anyway, right now, this moment, is, we are live. And I have a guest on today, Joseph Marcinkowski, who is the vice president and a founding member of the Foreign Policy Alliance, which is a relatively new group, new to me when... Uh, one of your, your people, Barry Klein, actually sent me a brochure out of the blue. I don't know actually if he's a, a listener or how he got my name, but uh, I, I'm probably one of the, unfortunately, it's shockingly one of the few people who really delves on a regular basis and gets deep into these questions, which is, again, a sign of the sorry state we're in. But anyway, he found me, and uh, I got this brochure a few months back, and uh Finally, got in touch with uh, you, you all, with with you all directly, and here you are. And um, we're talking about uh, the what the Foreign Policy Alliance is all about, which uh, formed to educate and advocate across the political spectrum for United States foreign policy that emphasizes diplomacy, law, and cooperation rather than costly and counterproductive intervention. And as we we're just talking about, goes against the interests of. Uh, I don't know if you'd even call it the deep state because the military-industrial complex, uh, you know, uh, bridges public and private, and uh, it's a it's kind of a a massive, massive force that uh, seems to be impossible to go against. But you all are trying, and I like the underdog, and I think that we actually can maybe get somewhere with this as the as things continue to fall apart anyway the number to call in is 503-231-8187 503-231-8187 we've got a little over half an hour get your calls in earlier rather than later and i did say at the outset i, I was kind of interested in your your own personal history so you were a, a veteran uh in, you were in the army talk a little bit about that i i went in the army right out of high school in 1959 uh I ended up in Germany uh, as a company clerk for an engineering uh, uh, headquarters company for uh, an engineering battalion. And one of the strange things that happened to me, there was a, uh, a general who was part of uh, a very right-wing group in the United States, and he, and he set up a program to have uh, troop instruction every week. And I spent uh, three weeks in Heidelberg, Germany, learning how to do this. 17 years old, I come back, and uh, first Saturday, they call a 
the company in and I gave this talk on uh, the Russian forces that were facing us on the other side of the border where we were at and uh, pretty much describing them as uh, primates uh, who live on vodka and uh, Bosch soup you know it, it was a pretty horrible discussion my friends there this guy Metz who was a communication specialist picks up his hand he says Joe where are you getting this stuff from and I said here the 7th uh, Army Bulletin and the first sergeant says, Mets, shut up and sit down. We want to hear this. And everybody coming out of this told me what a wonderful talk that was. Great. I go to lunch with Mets and with uh, uh, another uh, another liberal over there, and they said, boy, that was a lot of bull that you were putting out there, Joe. Where did, where did you get that information? I, I showed him, and I said, it's all crap. You know, after that, all I did was talk about sports every Saturday. Never went back to that. But that was a lesson in propaganda. And it's just a small lesson to what's happening in, here in the United States right now. It's fantastic how strong the prop. It's never been this strong in, the, in this country. You can't say anything. That's, that's what happened to the 30 progressives that, that even wanted to talk about negotiations. Uh, you know, what's, and what's happening to our country? We're looking at the price of fuel going way up because we put restrictions on Russia. So our prices have gone up. Uh, we have the, 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 the climate problem you're talking about. The Colorado River has been depleted, and that feeds all of our uh, uh, California uh, uh, food crops. You can see those prices going out of sight. They are now. You know, I, I, I understand. So... So that so that was kind of your maybe the start of your political education back there in the army in Germany. Yes, that's that's right. That's uh -huh. where I started. And in fact, some of the best people I met were were officers. Uh, I I, I I was a librarian on a boat going back and forth, and they would always recommend books to me: uh, "The Ugly American," "A Nation of Sheep." Those are the first books I read about politics uh, as a. Mm -hmm. I guess by that time I was coming back. I was 21. Of course, you, so you, you, uh, you luckily missed the Vietnam War yourself. But I, yes. I was just uh, actually just caught. I, I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. Uh, uh, it's on Netflix. I think it's called Yes Sir, No Sir: A History of the GI Resistance in the Vietnam War. Really, right. really excellent flick. If if people haven't checked it out, it it is on on. Um, on on Netflix right now, and also the uh, uh, the I don't know what the title is about the FT, uh, FTA, which I can't say what it means. F the Army. Um, it's another a movie that's on. Uh, you know that uh, Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland and some other famous people, along with some uh, uh, grassroots uh, GIs and anti-war activists, did this uh, tour. Which is a, a, another thing that's on Netflix. Anyway, so there's a. a, a it seems to be. I, I also went to a, a book reading, a book a talk, um, sponsored by the Veterans for Peace and some other groups here here in town. And I, I, can't, I did, wasn't thinking of talking about, it, but a guy who just wrote a book about the GI resistance. So, it seems to be people are, are talking about that. And um, anyway, not sure where I was going with that, but we do have a caller. So let's go to our first caller. Go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, good morning. Um, I am a classical liberal. Um, 
I advocate for our nation's constitutional principles. And um, the biggest mistake that we made as a nation was giving the central government the authority uh, to tax the people directly. That has enabled the rise of the the, uh, industrial complex, the military-industrial complex here in America. Okay. Uh, you want to take that on, Joe? Well, I I, I agree with that. I just uh, would like to ask our guest, uh, what would be the alternative? How, how would we do it uh, differently? Well, the people, see, the people are supposed to control the means of production through the people's authority to tax and regulate industry at the community level. That is a decentralized economic system, and that prevents the rise of monopoly capitalism. Okay. I, I like the sound of that, too. <laughs> That's, I, I, I'm in agreement with you here. You've you got no argument from me. I, I support you all the way on those. Well, and it's, uh, you know... That's a, a, a tough road to hoe, just like anything else that, you know, when you're coming up against the the entrenched uh, power. So, um, so yeah. Uh, the may, sub- I, may I say something? Sure. It is not a tough road to hoe. It is law. It is the Constitution. Right. But to get it enforced, you know, there's a lot of uh, good things that uh, theoretically uh, should be the case. But to actually get them to... To actually be, uh, you know, the way things actually operate is another question. Anyway, all we have to do is set our petty differences aside and unite. All we have to do <laughs> seems like a we can a, um, we can do it. Okay, we can we can do it. I believe we can. Well, the foreign the, 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 okay the original thirteen colonies united, and they and they were not all one culture. Of course, they did, you know, uh, displace the uh, original inhabitants and uh, have slavery as well, which are not inconsequential. The Constitution ended slavery. It was the political class that kept the slavery issue going. Right. Anyway, these are these are are deep questions. I I just want to get maybe we can get back to the subject of the, you know, uh, around the foreign what the foreign policy alliance is trying to do, which is try to get specifically to get people to unite around the question of how to reform, change, whatever, uh, U.S. foreign policy, which, you know, we became an imperial, you know, we, we fought, supposedly fought a war to end the colonial imperialist domination, you know, of, uh, you know, the, of the, 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 basically the, the white elites, they were the ones who, who drove the, the, the revolution to begin with. But anyway, um, and a lot of other people. Not true. Not true. Well, I, I think it is. But anyway, they were, not, they were representatives of the people. Well, anyway, these again, these are questions we go around and around. But anyway, so I, I just want to say that 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 the 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 foreign policy alliance is trying to to get us to come together over specifically these questions of of ending sort of the U.S. Uh, imperial mindset. And uh, so anyway, thank you for calling, um, mm-hmm. James. Appreciate it. Uh, Joe, uh, maybe you could just go off on where James was taking us before we go to our next call, which will be Robbie in a well, second. 
I, I, I think James is absolutely right. Uh, one of the first areas that we have to focus on is how do we remove the amounts of uh, money that are going to uh, military action? It seems like this is the only way that we see that we could survive as a, a hegemony. Uh, in, in a sense. We, we're looking at China now that believes in building uh, and assisting other countries and, and supporting their efforts. And they're, they're begging us to come and work with them on, on projects, which would be a plus for us and plus for them. And instead of that, we, we want to go to uh, spending our money on war so that we maintain this unipolar world. Uh, it's not happening. It's falling apart on, on us right now. And you could see that the other powers have risen and they're, they're there. They're going to they're gonna stay there. They're not going to disappear. Well, let's go to our next caller, which is Robbie. Go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, good morning. Uh, I, if I could, I, I just wanted to add on uh, the last caller. I think his name is James. He said that um, uh, that so the uh, income tax was passed unconstitutionally for World War II. So it was entirely for the military complex industry that we have. We now have income tax, which was never on it was just forced because of the World War II that we were going through. But I, I wanted to talk about that propaganda uh, that was getting brought up because. Um, you know, it's like, how do we get on everybody on board? And it's like, well, you can't get everybody on board if we can't agree on what happened. And so I thought that that was, uh, you know, like the key to getting um, everybody on board and the key to understanding what's happening here is this amount of propaganda. And I, I got to challenge you, Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, like, do you think you will ever hear uh, on our news who did the Nord Stream 2 bombing you know like this is part of the american propaganda and i just don't expect us to actually be able to get the facts especially now that we're living in a world where everything is fact checked and they have to go back on these fact checks like the fact that there were these bio labs that the state department said oh no they didn't exist that's just a russian conspiracy and then oh a month later oh yeah well they do exist but they're in terms of the bio <laughs> it's all within the law is what they have to do they have to retract they're constantly retracting these statements and I just can't help but notice that why do people trust our media? Uh, it's just so absurd to me. But, well, I, but I just wanted to bring that up. Right, but you know, we we are swimming in you know in, in a, a a stream of propaganda and other you know media uh, manipulations and distractions and you know the society of the spectacle. You know, the power of advertising is just so immense. Our our minds are being turn this way and that way it's hard it's hard to get your bearings it's hard to have and you know the, yeah. the level of political education real political political economic education is so minimal what? people are anyway just let me finish my, my my extended thought here so that's the reality we're living in and you know specifically what we're talking about today is what this particular group the foreign policy alliance is is attempting to do which is to get people specifically on a, a local level to you know to form to, you know, to get uh, ordinances, laws uh, to 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 challenge uh, the the for, you know the U.S. foreign policy to you know make alliances uh, uh, across whatever different lines. So, what do you think about what they're trying to do? Oh, well, that's great. And and again, you know, it's like there's only one way to to get to it is that's reaching out locally 
and, and again, I'm not trying to change the subject, but just to, to, to try to show this broader perspective here, did you look up what cloud seeding looks like? Because I think your answer kind of comes to like where we are as a society and believing each other and trying to share this information. Listen, if you want to have a private conversation, get, you know, get hit me up on, on email through the KBU website, but let's not do that right now. Okay. We're talking, we're, we're trying to, you know, we've got Joe Marcinkowski on just this uh, one hour and we've only got 20 minutes left. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, so, uh, 503-231-8187, 503-231-8187. I'm uh, glad to talk to you in, in private, Robbie. Definitely hook me up. Um, you know, I'm not going to, you know. Yeah, the propaganda issue is uh, very pertinent. Uh, we can't go ahead without coming away from it. The way I approach this is I don't watch mainstream media. I don't uh, uh, listen to anything. I go to... YouTube, Rumble, uh, Telegram. Th th this is where I get my my information now, and it all all the time when you're on these programs, you're able to find a reference and a source for what you're getting. When you're hearing things on uh, mainstream media, it, it never has any reference. It never tells you where it's coming from. Indeed, uh, he brought up uh, the Nord Stream too. Well, it, it's absolutely ridiculous that people say, well, it had to be the Russians. It, it wouldn't be the Russians. They have a button. They don't need to blow up their own line. It was blown up in an area that's controlled by Sweden and Denmark and Germany. The, the Russians couldn't have gotten down there. And you have uh, Jeffrey Sachs, the economist, on mainstream media saying it was the U.S. So... At the same time, there was a story that broke yesterday that uh, Liz Ness, uh, Liz, Liz Truss, the former uh, Prime Minister of London, right after the explosion, uh, texted uh, Blinken, it's done. And oh. th that's, that's where the story, you know, everyone says it was uh, the UK, everyone is on on uh, other alternative media says it was the UK involved in it and that that was the involvement well um i i you know these things i, I really wish that we had uh that that's why they that's why they they are so keen on uh imprisoning or forcing into exile or whatever the whistleblowers like snowden and bradley mann and chelsea manning and uh, and going after Julian Assange just because th those are the only ones who are going to get get to the bottom of some of these things that are so buried under the national security state. And uh, I, I hope some more just keep on popping up and we do get to the bottom of that. But anyway, that's a you know these are important questions, but we can't you know we can't just focus on that. So let's getting back to you know the work that your group is doing. Oh, it looks like we have another caller. So Go ahead. Uh, looks like Mark is on stack. Go ahead, Mark. Good, good morning. Thanks for taking good morning, my Mark. call. Uh, I have several several questions. Number one, uh, how do we work out an agreement where Putin saves face, where he can think that uh, that the project was was a, a success? Uh, do we do we concede the Crimea or the Donbass? Secondly, uh, why haven't we accepted Putin's 
demand for uh, the Ukraine not to be part of NATO. <coughs> it, it may take only four or five minutes for a, a hypersonic missile to go from the Ukraine to Moscow. Can't we understand that this is a very legitimate security interest, that all countries have security interests? Uh, well, Putin has been urging this uh, for 20 years. Well, let's, let's hear what Joe has to say. I guess I'll just say first is that, you know, these get back to these deeper questions that, you know, really originated in, in the, the Cold War, related, originated in this, you know, global struggle between whatever, the, the capitalist bloc and the, the communist bloc to really oversimplify it. And the, the legacy is still with us. You know, NATO was a product of that. And the, U, the U.S. doesn't have a good track record of... Uh, of, of reckoning with it, its past and, and really changing its direction, which is what this whole idea of the foreign policy alliance is all about. But go ahead, Joe, what do you think about the points Mark brought up? Well, if, if we go back to what our goal is, we want to split Russia up. This is the goal of Cheney and and they lay it out in, in extreme detail how it should be broken up into pieces that actually fight each other and that and this is what the uh, president uh, Putin said at the time he says now they want to split Russia up into separate regions that will be at each other's throat so there's no interest on our part to do any of this well we uh, we we us. we did sign the the UN uh, charter and we should be committed to peace and we should see that that war and militarism is never an answer or a solution that Russia should be part of Europe and should be respected now that that, that is a, that is the way to uh, stability and and peace yeah I absolutely agree with you I, I don't think though that uh, agreements that we signed are necessarily going to be uh, here to in the U.S. You know, we don't uh, have, we don't uh, recognize the courts, the international courts that would put our uh, politicians or military people uh, on trial. So you you have no mechanism for enforcement. Except the U.N., Right, which when we've got the National Security Council, and yeah, everything everything needs to be reformed, and the same yeah. the same forces that prevent, you know, the kind of changes that we're talking about here are preventing the serious change within the United Nations because, you know, the that that's the same dynamic all over. And anyway, thanks, Mark. We got another caller, and possibly more at five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. Up next is Edie. Go ahead, you're on the air. Hello, Hi. can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Um, in May nineteen eighty-three, I was working for a person who was working for NATO, and um, the I asked him, you know, what he was doing that day, and he said that he was, you know, they're preparing, they're mapping all the known petroleum reserves in the world, and I asked why. And um, he said, he can't look at me like I'm the stupidest person around. He says, because that's where all the wars are going to be. Um, and I said, for example, and he 
told me what years, what locations we would have wars, what place uh, for um, methane gas, petroleum, primarily petroleum, but also um, coal and water to get it. And we've had every war, when and how they said they would have it, except for the one against Venezuela. And they've worked really hard to um, different people in the war industry and petroleum, you know, fossil fuel industry have worked very hard to kind of push and push those wars on those agenda. I asked the man, well, why do you have to spend so much time, you know, ahead of time? Because I was thinking they're going to be preventing war. And what could I do to help prevent the war? He says, well, because it takes a long time to run a war. You can't just wait till somebody does something wrong and then, you know, defend yourself. You have to provoke them to do it wrong so you can have an excuse to it. So given that mentality, I'm wondering what you can tell us we can do to wake up uh, Americans to see how, um, over decades, this has been a carefully uh, planned and prepared provocation, and what we can do at this point to wrest back um, our control of of energy supplies and cap prices and um, not give a vested interest for the donors of Democrat, Republican, you know. Okay, uh, okay that's that's probably enough sure. there, and, and we're running out of time and got another caller, so we'll let you go, E.D., with that. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what she said is, is absolutely true. All of the wars are based on it. This war started with cutting off the gas that uh, Angela Merkel had had agreed with Russia. She helped build that that line, and uh, it, it it's absolutely essential to German uh, economy that they have low price gas to work with. By destroying uh, the gas line, by stopping the movement of gas from Russia in, into Germany. The Germans are looking at putting two hundred billion to three hundred billion dollars of subsidies into uh, for their people, so they'll have uh, fuel and power over the winter uh, months. And once they do that, every other EU country is going to have to fall in line, and it, it's going to be a subsidy war going on there. The, the whole EU is is facing destruction because of this. So let's get to the the, 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 the the sort of the action part of uh, Edie's question, which is... Okay. The action part would be, you know, we've run out of places to go. It's hard to go to uh, Congress or uh, the executive or Supreme Court. They seem to be owned by somebody with a lot of money. So we say that you do it locally in your local city, that you... Go to your city and uh, get a group together and say, we want this petition on the ballot. As soon as people start talking about it, this they'll start growing. And, we, and you'll have petitions from cities all over the country. And that may cause uh, such a, a, a fluence of uh, support. And, and again, outline what that petition would say. Well, it could be as simple as I, I mentioned before. We don't want war. 
yes or no. Uh, we we don't want to uh, uh, be in Ukraine. We don't want uh, we don't want to be in Syria right now. We are holding half of Syria. Why? Because it's where the oil is and where the wheat is. You know where we could be saying we should be out of Syria. We should be out of all these places. Not only that, uh, you know, uh, again, getting back to this idea of, you know, re-empowering the United Nations. I mean, I, I just can't see at this point, at this point, uh, recreating a whole new international structure. I mean, the United Nations, you know, was was flawed. It had some fatal flaws to begin with, in the National Security Council being a major one. Um, and, you know, uh, the other problems, the lack of recognition of indigenous peoples, which has only been very partially um, remedied. Um, but re-empowering the United Nations, you know, I've been talking a, a lot. I know Camila is waiting up on deck. Hold on a second, Camila. I've been, you know, insisting on that that the the only solution to the climate crisis and many of the other crises is a, some sort of global framework for demilitarization. You know, it, it could happen, you know, start, it has to start by happening from the citizens demanding, um, but it's it's, it's going to need some sort of global framework. Anyway, so, so yeah, I, I think there's a, a lot of different things. And, and so, yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea, I think. So anyway, let's, uh, let's let Camilo have his say. Go ahead, you're on the air. Hi, Camilo. Are you there? Did you step away for a second, Camilo? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, go ahead. So I, I think that in, in order to achieve the objectives of what the speaker is, is uh, asking for, namely a policy change in the national government, that we're going to have to figure out how to work through the party structure, or rather around the party structure that, that supports that. And, you know, the idea that he raised of, of uh, having petitions and organizing seems to me that that what needs to be organized is is a change in the party system to empower local parties which will support those kinds of of goals politically but the 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 problem the obstacle is is that the two political parties have have a lock on uh, the way our, our system operates and even Local people who are uh, would might be in favor of this still have to resort to being uh, part of the Democratic Party in in order to get elected to local offices. Okay, well we've uh, only got a few couple minutes left, so let's uh, let's let Joe respond to that, and okay. uh, we may have one more caller. Thank you, Camilla. You know, I've given up on. Uh, the party uh, structure. I I vote third party if there's a third party available, or I don't vote. And I don't see any solutions easily coming out of either the Democratic or Republican parties. They're they're owned, and uh, there's there's nothing we could do except for overturning the way we. Uh, we fund our government, and, and th that might be be able to be done by protest, but uh, by individual actions, and, and that perhaps that that's an area we should work on. Uh, 
Well, it seems you know, there's, there, there's ten thousand of them. You mentioned uh, uh, the climate problem with the military being a big factor in it. Well, the situation in Hawaii, where the military is poisoning the water supply in uh, Honolulu, and they won't do anything about it after years and years of uh, discussion. Th- this is an easy thing for Hawaii to put on their ballot and start telling the rest of the country about. Okay. Well, again, uh, uh, this is uh, Wednesday Talk Radio. We have about five minutes left or a little less. I'm speaking with uh, Joe Marcinkowski. With this, uh, relatively, was new to me. I keep saying new. So you've been around for, <laughs> I guess, seven years now. But uh, I just I just came to know you through a, a brochure that was sent a few months back to KBU, which other people can do. It's KBOO Radio, uh, 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97214. Uh, my name's put it to me, Paul Rowland. I kind of like getting snail mail letters. It's, it's kind of fun. Anyway, and we're talking about uh, the Foreign Policy Alliance. You can go to uh, their website at foreignpolicyalliance.org and find out more. And, uh, you know, maybe some things will start happening at a local level. But let's give Bill just uh, 30 seconds to give us what he has to say, um, because we're almost out of time, Bill. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, Yeah, to start off with, you know, I I am a 14-year Army veteran. And actually, my son, he's an 03, which is a captain, and he's with the first group over in Slovakia right now. And what a lot of people uh, don't know or they're not informed about is all of those countries in Eastern Europe, they are more than welcoming our presence there. I mean, as we speak, there's a brigade-sized element of the 101st Airborne uh, that's in, I believe, uh, uh, Romania right now. Right. So when Exactly. So, you know, it's not like, you know, we are the, you know, second coming of the, uh, you know, the conquering imperialistas. I mean, you know, you know, almost all those folks in Eastern Europe, you know, they love our presence. Well, that's a complex story. And I'll let Joe respond. Um, You know, I I, I can't speak. I'm not I'm not there. I'm sure it's a complex situation where you have, you know, many different uh, uh, points of view. Um, whether the the absolute dominant one is, as you say, it, it, it's possible. I, I I don't know that for a fact. Um, I think that the you know the historical relationship between the, the the those people in the Soviet Union certainly has a lot to do with the way people look at the world. I think a lot of people came out of the Soviet uh, dominance era with a very naive view of the West and capitalism, and the savage way that those. Uh, the uh, the capitalist economy uh, was rammed through those countries and the serious social effects it had on the people is not to be minimized. I think that, you know, people were, you know, there's a, a lot of Western propaganda, you know, uh, was, was at play, but there's also a lot of legitimate, uh, you know, historical reasons for them to look to the United States as a, as an ally against their oppressors, the Soviet Union. There's, there's no, there's just no sugarcoating how, how brutal exactly. the Soviet re- regime was. But, you know, you've got, you know, you've got the U.S. imperialism, it, which is a fact historically. You've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of bases around the world that continue to Im- impose and, and project U.S. power. 
And so, yeah, you, you, you know, you could have, you could say we have a, a, a conflict of imperialisms at this point, I think is an accurate statement. But anyway, I don't want to, sure. get, get, I'm, I'm not even speaking into the microphone. I'm getting so worked up. Bill, we got to let you go and uh, I'll give Joe sure. the last word and we only have like 30 seconds to a minute. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I tell you, Bill, right now, it seems like a lot of neocons in our government are really afraid that Ukraine is collapsing and to save Zelensky, what they, they're supporting is for the U.S. military to get into Ukraine and face off against the uh, Russians. And primarily that 5,000 or under 5,000 uh, 101st Airborne that's in Romania right now would move on uh, Donbass, ensure that Donbass was not taken over by the Russians and and we'd be face to face with uh, Russian guns. This is a disaster. It's not a good perspective. A, a horrible. So we 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 that's a Bill brought up a whole other uh, subject that needs to be gotten into. We're not going to do it today, Joe. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming. Go to Thank KBO. You for having me, Paul. Yeah, and go to KB. Uh, go to Foreign Alliance Foreign Policy Alliance dot org to find out more. Thanks everybody for listening. Bye. Bye. You're listening to KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM. The time is 8.59 a.m. Next up is Fight the Empire.